Mark Drake is on a mission to train leaders around the world about the miracle and mystery of Christ living his life in and through all who will believe. Join us on this journey into the heart of the real new covenant and the transforming power of true grace. Get out your Bibles, please, and uh, just go ahead and turn to, uh, let's see, where will we be when we get there? Uh, Romans chapter 8, turn there if you would. We're starting a, uh, a new series today. We've been talking about the Psalms for several weeks, and in that process, uh, constantly dealing with this question, how, as a New Covenant believer, should I read the Old Covenant? And uh, so we've been, we've been laboring at that, and I think we've done a great job. I want to ask you a question. How in the world did prayer get so complicated? We're going to start today talking about New Covenant prayer. You say, well, is there a difference? Yes, there is. As we've looked at the Psalms, we realize that there were many things that David prayed that we are taught not to pray. Oh, how many times David prayed, God, see my enemies? I want you to kill them, but not yet. First, I want you to knock out all their teeth. It's in the book of Psalms. So that they suffer for a while and can't eat and waste away. Then utterly kill them. Well, in David's day, he was battling uh, true literal armies and foes that came against him. And that was very real for him. But Jesus says, when I come inside of you with my new covenant, I will empower you with an agape love that will enable you to love those who want to kill you. Something totally different in the new covenant. Empowered to love people rather than defeat them or even see them. Paul said in the new covenant, we do not wrestle with flesh and blood. Even though Nero was there and all of his minions and all the Sanhedrin and the high priest against the Christian uh, believing Jews. Yet Paul said, this battle is not against people. Jesus has already won all of that. This is a battle for the hearts and minds of individuals. So that the power of the gospel and grace can infect them, transforming them from the inside out. So then we come to the issue which I, in my travels, think this is at least one of the two most misunderstood subjects in the body of Christ right now today. This idea of prayer. How do I pray? What do I say when I pray? Let me just give you a very quick example. Last night, just for giggles, I googled books on prayer. Dear Jesus, help us. Now, I am not against books. Certainly not the ones that I've written. But... the. <laughs> I love books. I got lots of them. And I, my, my Kindles are loaded up, hundreds and hundreds of books. I'm reading all the time because I'm trying to learn and understand what other people, why other people think the way they do. So I read a lot of books that I figure I'm probably not going to agree with, but I do want to learn as much as I can. Those people who criticize me around the world, I appreciate them because they're attacking me causes me to learn. I learn. I study. I research more because I want to know that. So thank you for all of my enemies. I do appreciate it. You're making me a better man. But when I clicked on books about prayer, listen, <laughs> I'm going to take a minute to do this. The hidden power of prayer and fasting, 40 days of prayer and fasting, the seven most powerful prayers that will change your life forever. The seven day prayer warrior experience, 40 days of prayer, prayer, 21 prayers of gratitude, prayers. I like that one. That's it. That's it. Prayers. That's it. That's the title. Prayer, the expanded edition. Woo. 
prayers that avail much. The quantum physics of warfare prayer. And when I asked Amazon how many, they said thousands. They couldn't count them all. This is all by one author. Prayers that rout demons. Prayers that break curses. Third book in the series, prayers that rout demons and break curses. Completely separate book. Prayers that activate blessing. Prayers that bring healing. Prayers that bring healing and activate blessings. Prayers that move mountains. Daily declarations for spiritual warfare. Identifying and breaking curses. Prayers that release heaven on earth. I love this one. The demon hit list. And finally, the ultimate handbook on prayer. I'm sure they all have something good in them. But I want to tell you that Our spiritual forefathers in the first century came very quickly to understand that what was complicated under the law has been made utterly simple in the new covenant. What was complicated then has been made simple now. We must get a hold of that because in our Bible study, in our listening to other people teach the Bible, One of the questions we ought to be asking ourselves is, if I were completely illiterate, could not read a word of any language, would this hit me as being simple? If it doesn't, for me particularly, I don't have a lot of use for it. 97% of the people living in first century Roman Empire could not read. You know what that means? Every one of the letters that we love so much, and I love those letters in the New Testament so very, very much. However, most of the churches that those letters got sent to and copies were sent to so they could read it, they had to look around to find somebody who could read because most of the people could not. So this had to be very simple. And of course, when I say simple, I don't mean simple as in uh, uh, not valuable. On the contrary, it is far more valuable Because it is the simplicity of learning to let he who's living in me live through me and enjoy the fruit that he produces. Now, look, in this series, we're going to talk about things like intercession, praying in the spirit, praying in tongues, praying for our children, praying for our family, spiritual warfare, uh, the power of life and death are in the tongue. Are they really? Well, we'll take a look at that in context, calling those things which are not as though they were. We will talk about that. Is that something we ought to be doing or not? And if we shouldn't be doing, then why not? Or do we create reality by our words of prayer? How do we pray in faith? Can we actually move mountains? Is that really what Jesus said? And if it is, why ain't they moving? Actually, I guess I need to back that up. Yesterday in Japan, one did move. If you saw the news... It took about a million people by surprise when that volcano erupted. No scientist thought that volcano was ever going to spew. But baby, it did. I don't know who was praying, but nonetheless. Now, can we actually do that? Are we supposed to do slash pray what Jesus prayed? Are we really supposed to do that? Or is there something else we might learn? And if we do, are supposed to pray Jesus prayed. Can we change the weather by our prayers? Well, be careful. Because at least down in the lower 48, the same church group that's wanting to have an outdoor tent revival and they're praying for no rain has to deal with the farmers who are all praying that it rains. 
So just let it rain everywhere, but right here on our acre, oh God. See, man, this is starting to sound complicated. That's why we're talking about this. Because it's not supposed to be. It's not supposed to be complicated at all. And the moment it starts getting complicated, well, I'll just put it in the words of the Apostle Paul to the Galatian church. The reason these men have come and are teaching you stuff that is so complicated is so that you will have to depend on them for the explanation. When the reality is the teacher is living in you. And we simply share the truth that God is igniting in our hearts one with another and together we grow. When Jesus went to uh, the Sermon on the Mount, what we refer to as the Sermon on the Mount, pop up my rendition of the Sermon on the Mount, if you would, please. When Jesus, the, 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 the disciples asked Jesus, Lord, teach us to pray. And you know the prayer. Here's mine. Father, you are awesome. I am so grateful that I can fully trust you to help me with whatever I will need today. Protect me from the lies of the enemy. And thank you for freely forgiving me and help me to forgive others the same way. I'm so thrilled to belong to the one who owns it all and rules it all forever. Thank you. Amen. When you read through the Sermon on the Mount, do you know how Jesus said to pray for the huge needs that many of us face day after day after day? Ask God for your daily bread. <laughs> but that's you, you can't write 17 books on that and make it into a series. It's way, way, way too simple. Now, let me tell you the one thing that, that Josh, Rick, myself, Frank, all the, all the uh, pastoral leaders, the one thing that we hope pray for, ask God to do in each one of us as a church in this issue of what is prayer, how do we do it, the most important thing that we pray for you is that we all together will get our hearts and minds firmly settled on one absolutely critical truth. And we're going to be coming back to it and back to it and back to it and back to it. There is one absolutely essential truth that if you and I will ground our heart and mind on it, the winds of complicated teaching on prayer will not shake us. It will not make us feel uh, uh, condemned or that somehow we fall short. And that that simple truth is found articulated for us in Romans 8.26. Give me that slide if you would, please. Here it is. The Apostle Paul, we do not know how to pray as we should. And that's okay. Stand up with me for a minute, will you please? Come on, come on, stand up, stand up, stand up. I'm afraid you're going to nod off on me here. i got a few more minutes left. I have a clock right here. I keep rebuking it. It keeps counting off the time. I want you to say this together with me. Are you ready? These words right here. You ready? Here we go. We do not know how to pray as we should. And that's okay. Come on, come on. And that's okay. Turn to the person standing beside you. You do not know how to pray as you should. And that's okay. All right. You may be seated. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Have a wonderful day. I'm done. No, actually, I need to I need to I need to I need to proof text this. Listen, my friend. This, yeah, 
Joni just yelled out very dishonorably. That would have been a record for you, Mark. Yeah, okay. All right. Okay, I take it. I take it. I need it. I need I need fencing. All right. Thank you, Jesus. Normally, it's Linda who's going. Or she's doing this here, and that really scares me. All right. Now, anyway. All right. Now, this this is... This is <laughs> somebody just got it. Driving home this afternoon, that'll hit you, and it will really be funny. Uh, email me and tell me it was funny, because you don't think it's funny right now. All right. The... the we do not know how to pray. This is the Apostle Paul writing to the believers in Rome after he has been ministering the gospel for well over 20 years, after he has been transported in some uh, un- under- uh, some way we can't understand into the literal heavens. After Jesus, he says, appeared to him many, many times and spoke to him directly. After all of that, Paul says, we don't know how to pray and that's okay. We don't know how to pray. And that's okay. Look at it, would you please? Uh, slide, uh, the next slide. Romans 8. I'm going to begin in verse 23. Yes, there we go. And not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Now, I'm going to come back to that. So, I believe in divine healing and... All of us will have our bodies fail us and we should be eternally grateful because unless we get out of this one, we don't get the immortal one. Now, we're not making a list on who would like to go sooner. But nonetheless, as a believer, we should view death the way the Apostle Paul viewed it. He said, I want to go and be with him. You need me to stay and help you. So I guess I'll stay a little longer. It's in the book of Philippians. I'd rather leave you all. Because that's far better. But still a little bit more for me to do. Well, if I drop over dead while I'm preaching, you'll know that I ran out of things to do. And it's over. And don't feel bad for me. Throw a party. Not only so, but we ourselves are the fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly. We're waiting for the, uh, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we are saved. Listen, in this hope we are saved. In this hope we are saved. Now listen how he defines hope. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. You pray. God does for you what you ask him to do. There is now no hope involved here. There's no hope. But that is not the end all be all of what God wants to do in our lives. For what he hopes for, or for who hopes for, what he already has. But if if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait patiently for it. Now, little biblical interpretation here. The next words are, in the same way. Now, the writers of the Bible, and, and uh, literally of any literature, continually use what we might refer to as connecting words. There's a more complicated word for it uh, that my children probably know, but it's my mind. But there are words because of this and then some truth. Therefore, find out what it's there for. And, but, otherwise, however, in the same way. These are all connecting words, which means that we cannot understand 
what is what we're getting ready to read if we do not understand what we just read. And what we just read said that God is all about building a hope in our lives that holds us steady no matter what winds blow. No matter what the attack is, and their attacks were literal, thrown to the lions, burned at the stake, lose your property, all that stuff. Literal. But God, according to the Apostle Paul, what He is after in us is not the ability to say the exact right words and suddenly create the answer for what we want. That is not what God's after. What God is after is to develop in us a trust and a hope. But that which you already got, you don't hope for. Now, if we, if we say, and in the same way, we have to go back to the previous verse, and one of the metaphors or examples that he uses is the wearing out of your current fallen human body and the redemption of that so that God will take your DNA, make the absolute perfect you that will never get tired, never have sore muscles, never catch disease. All of that will be banished. And we will live as Jesus is living now with a human body that has been immortal and glorified and we will be body, soul, spirit forever and ever and ever. Amen. In the same way. Now, what in the same way? In the same way that currently our physical bodies are breaking down and wasting away in the same way that that's happening, the spirit helps us in our weakness. What weakness is he referring to? Well, he tells us in the next sentence. We do not know what we ought to pray for. Now, that's our weakness. We have a weakness, and it's okay. If you didn't have it, you wouldn't be on the earth. You'd already be dead in the body, but alive in the spirit in the presence of God. You wouldn't have a problem figuring out what to pray for. But Paul makes a very simple statement that ought to forever cleanse us from any condemnation whatsoever about this issue of, well, maybe I, maybe I didn't pray for the right thing. Maybe I, I didn't pray long enough. Maybe I didn't pray seriously enough. Maybe I didn't pray hard enough. Maybe, maybe I didn't get enough people to pray with me. Maybe... Maybe in my prayer I said the wrong negative thing and that created a negative result and I'm just getting what I... Is anybody there? Huh? Listen, this is the thing that beats God's people on and on. But not Paul. And not the people of his day that believed the revelation that he taught. They rested in the fact that as human beings we have a weakness when it comes to prayer. We don't know how to pray as we should. But God has given us an answer. But the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. And He who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints accordance with God's will. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him. The context of all things work together for good. The context of that is you don't know how to ask. For them all to work together for good. But God is not depending on you to ask correctly. He's not depending on me to say the right words. Why not? Because he searches the heart. He searches the heart. He does not give you an exam 
on the articulation of certain truths as you say, help. Sorry, I don't have a specific verse for that one. Oh, yes, you do. Oh, yes, you do. Peter, come to me on the waters. Yes, Lord. Oops. Help. It worked. Not all that intelligent. I don't know exactly what that means in the Greek. I'll have to look it up. But I think it probably means help. And Jesus then said, sorry, Peter, that is not nearly deep enough in prayer. Sorry. No. For we do not know how to pray as we should. Now, I want to very quickly touch on four things in this passage. And you can just make notes of them, look at them back. Number one, Paul tells us that the last thing to be redeemed will be our decaying physical body. The last thing that will be redeemed for us will be our bodies. I believe in healing. I also am very clear that most people do not get healed. Come on, now let's be honest. Most people do not get healed in this life. But they get a new one. We all get a new one. It's okay, well, what about praying for healing? Pray for it. Just don't be disappointed if God decides to do something else in a different way and very possibly because He wants us to live in hope, not in this lifetime. We're told to ask, but we're also told to trust Listen, listen, your well-thought-out spiritual warfare-articulated prayers do not trump the sovereignty and goodness of God. How many, how many will be honest enough with me to say, if God would have answered some of the prayers that I have prayed in the past exactly the way I asked them, I would be in a bigger mess today. Oh, man, let me tell you, I have... I have given the Lord instruction on how to meet my needs on several occasions. Only to look back a few years later and say, oh, my, 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 if it would have gone the way I thought it should have gone, I would have been in a mess. But look at this. God knew what he was doing all along. Surprise. The last thing to be redeemed will be our physical decaying body. Take care of it the best you can. Ask God to heal it when you're sick and rest in the knowledge that you are going to get a new one before this kingdom of God business is over. Number two, hope is all about not getting our prayers answered until the king returns and the fullness of the kingdom comes. Well, then why should I pray? Number one, because God said to. Number two, because as a child of God, he wants to invite us into learning how to cooperate with him. The more we get to know him through the word and in fellowshipping him, the more we be able, the more we begin to sense what his heart is and our prayers become possibly a little more accurate and we get to co-labor with God. But the bottom line is you and I are never going to be able to trump his sovereignty and thank God we're never going to be able to trump his goodness. So let me say it another way. If you belong to Jesus, if Jesus is Lord of your life, if the spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives inside of your human body as a child of God, and you get discouraged and say something negative, God is too good to let you create bad stuff just because you got depressed for a little while. What parent would say, no food for you this month. You didn't talk to me right. 
Now, there may be other disciplines, but it ain't going to be that. And Jesus said, if you being evil know how to do good for your children, how much more does the Father do good for those who love Him? Number three, in the same way. In the same way, what? Understanding context. In the same way, what? In the same way, our bodies are decaying. And other than asking God to heal us at particular points along the way, there's no way we can stop that in the same way. We don't know how to pray as we should. And that's okay. Number three, our weakness is, well, let me rephrase that. Why do we not know how to pray exactly as we should? Why do we not know how to pray exactly as we should? Somebody tell me. We don't know the will of God. Let's make it a little bigger or a little more genetic. We don't know what. We don't see the big picture. In other words, we don't know the future. We don't know the future. Well, yeah, but I'm going to I'm going to use my words to create the future. Oh, no, you're not. But you will be very disappointed. If all the stuff that you're trying to create with your words. Doesn't come to you. Now, let's go to this James real fast here, please. We need to see this. See, this is what this is all based on. James. Now listen, you who say today or tomorrow, we will go to this or that city. I love the way he just makes this so general. Uh, we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Some translations say make a profit or have an increase. That is an important statement there. Then James says, why you do not even know what will happen tomorrow? What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while, then vanishes. Instead... Now, I know there's preachers out there that say you should never, ever, ever pray if it be thy will. However, James had a little different idea about it. I think he was inspired by the Spirit, not too sure about the rest of us. Instead, you ought to say, come on, say it with me. If it is the Lord's will. Come on, one more time. If it is the Lord's will. Now, notice how broad he makes this. We will live and do this or that. We'll do whatever. God's will is. Now, why does he say, do not say, I'm going to go and do this and I am going to get a profit. Why does he say, don't say that? Because it is arrogant. He goes on and says, uh, verse 16, uh, as it is, you boast and brag. All such bragging or boasting is evil. Anyone then, now here's the context for this verse that we probably all know. Anyone then who knows the good, he ought to do it. And if he doesn't do it, he sins. You know what he's talking about? Declaring what future results are going to be because that's the way we want them to be. James says don't do it. Why should we not do that? Because we don't know what's coming tomorrow. Our life, James says, is but a mist, a vapor. It's here one moment and then it's gone. A mist or a vapor. It's there one minute. And then it's gone. Although I can smell the apple cinnamon lingering aroma. Paul does say we are an aroma of sacrifice and offering unto him. All right, let me wrap this up here. Hallelujah. Pray any way you want to pray, folks. It's okay. I, I'm, like I said, I'm not, I don't want to be the word police. But I don't want you to live in condemnation. You don't want to live that way either. So though you can pray any way you want to pray, I would suggest that we try to look in the New Testament and see how they prayed, what they prayed for, what they did not 
pray for. As you hear me say all the time, if you do not start at the right starting point, the good directions will take you to the wrong place. If GPS thinks I'm starting here, when in fact I'm starting over at Fred Meyer, the directions are not going to be right. So I have to start at the, at the right place. So what is the right place? Give me, give me uh, slide number 10, I think it is, about prayer, the definition of prayer. It's very important for us to grab on to. No, no, please go on to the next one. I'm sorry. We may come back to that, though, but that, this will be good. Prayer. If you want to understand what the New Testament means by the word prayer, all you have to do is go to the Strong's Concordance, and you will find in the Strong's Concordance that what it does when you go to the word prayer in English is it gives you two Greek words that make up this one word here. The first word it will give you literally means to make your attention toward or looking to. It's a posture, and it's always connected with worship. The second word is supplication, which means requests. Every time Jesus and the apostles said pray, or they prayed, or you should be in prayer, they were saying you should be worshiping, and out of that intimacy with God, ask for what you need. Now look, I hate formulas, you know that about me. So now I'm going to violate my own own rule. But it is the exception that proves the rule. Let me give you uh, uh, the idea. From reading all of this throughout the New Testament, and my own personal experience, it seems to me that that we would be pretty healthy if we made 80% of our prayer time worshiping, glorifying, magnifying, exalting the Lord, and as the word worship literally means, kissing Him. To kiss. And then the last 20% of our time, and Father, we do have this need, and I I do need a better job. My kids, I would like for them to be healed. And and make our requests known to God. Paul says, Philippians 4, you can look it up later and get the podcast, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Be always joyful, 1 Thessalonians 5. Pray continually and give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. The Bible says that Jesus frequently went away from his disciples at night and prayed all night long. Now, how many of us truly believe that all night long, the Son of the living God, God come in flesh, had a list that took him all night to get through asking the Father to do stuff? How many believe that? We don't believe that. Then what was he doing all night? He was worshiping, fellowshipping, interacting with his father. And then bringing the requests and moving on. Good model for us. When Paul says pray without ceasing, pray continually. You and I could not possibly spend all of our time asking for stuff. But we don't need to. We're not supposed to. Oh, but we can have worship going on inside of us almost all the time now we've got to put to death some superstitions and we'll be talking about these in the future so go back to that one uh, praying out loud this is a commonly held belief do not pray out loud because the devil will hear it change his strategy and thwart god's answer google it you will find some of the most internationally known preachers and teachers who actually believe that and teach it when they ought to be ashamed. Job is a heart-rending story. But the whole message is 
at the end. Now, see, a lot of people think, well, the whole message was he got back more stuff and wife and kids and all that kind of No, no, no. The whole story comes to 42.1. Now I know, oh God, that nothing can thwart your plan. Nothing. Job did not say, oh, now I understand it all. He never understood it. Because it's not understanding is what this is about. This is about trust. This is about hope. This is about trusting in Him to do what is absolutely very best. Do you have that photo of me back there? Did you get that one? Put it up there. We're in right now. This is what I spend my time doing. I worship the Lord and then I do this. I pray for what I think would be best. Then I trust the Father to do what I would have asked if I knew everything He knows. God knows you can only ask based on what you think is good. But at the same time, we must never think that what we think is good is the perfect will of God. It's all right. Ask for what you think you need and trust the Father to do for you. Don't stop asking. But don't ask out of franticness, out of fear. Don't ask thinking, well, if I, you know, if I pray 99 times, it's not going to happen. But if I get that 100th time in there, it's superstition. It's superstition. And how much more does our Father stand with me, would you please? And just go ahead and forgive me now. Thank you, Pastor Dick. Just, just go ahead and forgive me now for the late time here. Father, we love you. We love you. And Father, from this moment on, we will, with joy, say, we don't know how to pray like we should, and that's okay. But you, Father, have invited us to come, make our requests known to you, and you will work your goodwill in our lives. We trust you. Wash us from condemnation. Wash us from complication. Set us free to simply relate to you as a child who trusts their perfect Father. In Jesus' name, amen. This week, just, just this week, Spend 80% of your time worshiping and 20% asking specifically for your needs to be met. And we'll make that the new 11th commandment. All right, good afternoon, everybody. Have a great time. Join us on this new covenant journey at markdrake.org.